Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. Can you imagine how awesome it will be when Christ reigns on this earth? When he finally is worshipped as King of kings and Lord of lords, as he so richly deserves. When Satan is bound from tempting people, what a magnificent time it's going to be. And yet sin will still be around, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I imagine their sin will be quickly dealt with, since Jesus will be on the throne. This week, we're going to talk about that millennial kingdom and then what happens when it ends regarding Satan's release from the abyss, as well as the great white throne judgment of unbelievers. I'm Debbie Blank, praying you will pay close attention to what Jesus says is going to happen to unbelievers as we move through the millennial kingdom. Make sure that you do not fall into the category that we're going to discuss. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. In Revelation chapter 20, there are only 15 verses, but they encompass over 1,000 years of time. In my Bible, there are six references in just seven verses to this important period when Christ and his followers reign. But there are also many other critical things that occur in these 15 verses. There are two different resurrections, a chaining and unchaining of Satan, the dragon, one more attempted overthrow of Christ's kingdom, a great white throne where books are opened and the dead are judged, and ultimately we witness the second death and the lake of fire. So today we're going to look at these verses in order to cover these many events, have some loose ends tied up, and probably address a few common questions. We saw last week in Revelation 20 how Satan was bound for a thousand years. It also told us, however, that he was going to be released at the end of the thousand years. So we'll discuss that as we move on. But what we want to look at first is verses 4 through 6. So we can talk a little bit about this millennial kingdom that we really didn't talk about. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now let's stop right there because that's a long verse. So there were thrones and there was judgment. And then we see the people who were martyred during the tribulation period. And it tells us that all of them came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. We talked about that last week, how those martyrs are going to come to life. They're going to be resurrected with their bodies and live with Christ, along with those of us who've already been resurrected as believers in Christ and came back with Christ when he returned in Revelation 19. So there's going to be a lot of people in this millennial kingdom. It goes on to say in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were complete. That's later on in our discussion in Revelation 20. Then it says this is the first resurrection. Well, that can be confusing because the first resurrection is not the rest of the dead that are going to come to life. The first resurrection refers back to those people in verse 4 that came to life and reigned with Christ. That is the first resurrection of believers. There's going to be a second resurrection of unbelievers later on in this chapter. 
And then he says in verse six, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. That's of believers over those. The second death has no power. What's the second death? That's the spiritual death. A first death is a physical death. The second death is spiritual death. So the second death, spiritual death has no power over those who have believed and have been resurrected to live with Christ. But they will be priests, meaning those who go through the first resurrection, will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. You and I get to reign with Jesus in his millennial kingdom. We are going to be priests, it says, of God, serving God during this time of the millennial kingdom. What a blessed honor that is going to be. Now, contextually, that's referring to those people who were resurrected after being martyred during the tribulation period. But it also refers to us because we know we're coming back with Jesus in resurrected bodies, too. It's interesting when we speak about the people who are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus in the millennial kingdom, it talks about them having been beheaded, these ones that have kept to the word of God and to their testimony and didn't worship the beast, all of those, those are called souls. And then the others are called the rest of the dead. And that just kind of jumped out at me, that those who were coming through the first resurrection are souls but the ones who will be going through the second resurrection and the consequences of that are called the dead. Interesting how God uses that terminology to explain that to us. Well, let's move on to talk about the millennial kingdom. There are so many passages in the Old Testament talking about this kingdom that we wouldn't have time to read them all. But I do want to read a few, and then I want to give you just some descriptions of what it's going to be like. One passage is in Daniel 2, 44. That promise is that in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. That means it's an eternal kingdom, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Now, the millennial kingdom is not going to endure forever, but the reign of Christ is first here on earth and then in eternal heaven, which we'll talk about in Revelation 21 and 22. Another passage comes from Isaiah 62, 1 through 4 and 11 and 12. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet until her righteousness goes forth like brightness and her salvation like a torch that is burning. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory, and you will be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will designate. Well, that glory that they're going to see is the glory of Christ reigning in Jerusalem. Isaiah 62, 3 goes on to read, You will also be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. That diadem is a kingly diadem. Christ reigning is king. It will no longer be said to you forsaken, nor to your land will it any longer be said desolate, but you will be called, my delight is in her. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, lo, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and they will call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought out a city not forsaken. Well, those are great descriptions of what the Jews could expect once the millennial kingdom started. And that's what we're going to see in Revelation 20. 
So you've given a glorious description through that passage in Isaiah, and it's interesting to note the conditions that are going to exist in the kingdom. There's going to be peace in the kingdom. If we look at Hosea 2.18, it says, And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land, and will make them lie down in safety. And also joy. From Isaiah 35.10, it says, And the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. There's going to be holiness. Thus says the Lord in Zechariah 8.3, I will return to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. And finally, justice and righteousness. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace, says Isaiah 9.7. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. What wonderful conditions to live in. And those are only a few of them. There are dozens of dozens of scriptures that explain what the millennial kingdom will be like, the attitude and the action of people, the Lord reigning. I mean, first of all, it's the promise of the messianic kingdom. And then you have all these amazing attributes and the fact that Jesus is king and he will have dominion over everything and he will have his earthly reign. It's going to be an awesome time. We know that Christ is going to be the one who has the dominion in the millennial kingdom. When we say millennial kingdom, we mean the thousand-year kingdom on the earth here. And I'm looking at Daniel 7 and verse 11. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So we know that he's been given this dominion, and we see this in Daniel, way back in, in Daniel, some of the visions that he had refer to this millennial kingdom and beyond. And the timing that you read in verse 11 shows us that it's talking about the time of the Antichrist and how he's destroyed, and that's when this dominion takes place. How awesome it's going to be to have Christ in dominion, running and ruling the world at this time, and when he does, he's going to do it in his temple. That's exciting because there has not been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD when it was destroyed by the Romans. The Jews are so excited to be able to build a temple, but it has to be built on the Temple Mount. It's impossible to do that right now simply because there's two Muslim mosques there and they will not give authority to Israel to build a temple. But the Bible says it's going to be built, so we know it will. We know from Ezekiel 43, it tells us in verses 1 and 2 and 6 and 7 that it will be built and that Jesus will reign in there. The passage reads, Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. Now keep in mind, we've told you before that Jesus is coming from the Mount of Olives, which is east of this temple mount that we're talking about. Ezekiel goes on to say, 
Then I heard one speaking to me from the house. While a man was standing beside me, he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell among the sons of Israel forever. God dwelt first in the tabernacle and then in the temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. He dwelt with his people there in the form of his Shekinah glory. When Jesus Christ returns, he will reign in a new temple that will be built for him. Ezekiel, as a matter of fact, describes that temple in chapters 40 to 46 in the book of Ezekiel. So this is just an excerpt to show us that. So our king, who we've been waiting for for 2,000 years to be proclaimed king on earth, will now come in dominion and sit on his temple throne in Jerusalem inside the temple people will actually be able to see their God. In the past, it's only been the glory of God, which you don't see. It's a presence of God, but nobody ever sees God the Father. We have seen him through Jesus because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, we're going to see him on that throne for a thousand years. You think it can't even get any better. But then guess what? Satan comes up on the earth again. One final opportunity to try and sway people against Jesus. And you think, how is that possible? First of all, Jesus has been reigning. Secondly, the only people reigning with him are either those of us who believed and are in our resurrected bodies. And then you have those who believed and entered into the kingdom with their normal bodies. Then you have their children also who will have made a decision for or against Jesus one way or another. But it tells us in Revelation 20, verses 7 to 10, that there's one final battle. As perfect as this kingdom is, Satan's going to try and raise up some people to fight with him. It says, and when the thousand years were complete, Satan will be released from his prison, just like we were told in verses 1 through 3, and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sands of the seashore. Now just think of that. He goes to the four corners of the earth and he is able to deceive enough people that they're called the size of them as the sand of the seashore. That's a large population of people. How is that possible? Well, how is it possible today that people turn against Jesus Christ, that walk their own way when we have the scriptures, when we have the history, when we have the Holy Spirit, when we have the church? But people are, and they will then. What happens? Verse 9. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. So they are surrounding Jerusalem. They're going to battle against Jesus. That, That makes no sense at all. But that's a typical act of Satan. He deceives people to believe they could actually win a battle like this, and they believe him. Well, what happened? says, a fire came down from heaven and devoured them. There is a supernatural act from God that devours Satan and all of those who have taken part with him in this act. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's eternal hell, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That gives you just a little glimpse of what eternal hell is like. In the Greek, it's called Gehenna. 
That was a place called the Valley of Hinnom in the Bible that depicted where all the garbage was thrown and burned. So there was always smell. There was always fire. There were worms because of the things that were thrown in there before they were burned up. That's why the Bible says that hell is a place where the worm never dies and the tongue is never quenched because of the heat. So when you think of Gehenna, the eternal hell, they had a really good idea of how bad that was going to be. And these people and Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown in there forever and ever. Well, it's certainly interesting how fire comes down from heaven and that's it. You know, the the victory is complete. So the devil who is deceived is thrown into that lake of fire. And that's it for Satan, isn't it? At this point, that's it. So no more Satan, no more devil. There was that testing after the thousand years, but then it's over. Yes, he's gone now, and we're going to get ready to enter into eternity. But before we do, something has to happen. In Revelation 20, verse 11, it reads, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. So earth and heaven have now been destroyed. And we are told in Second Peter chapter 3 that that must happen, that the current earth that we have must be destroyed with fire before the eternal heaven can be established, because the eternal heaven will not take place on this earth. Only the millennial kingdom took place with Christ's reign here. We're going to go into eternity, which is all going to be different, and we're going to read about that in the next few weeks. So we're told in verse 11 that before eternity can start, there's a great white throne and someone sits on it. For that reason, we call this the great white throne judgment. And him who sat on it is Jesus. We know that because in John 5, 2, we're told that the father doesn't judge anyone, but he's given all judgment to the son. And then that passage that I mentioned in Second Peter is in actually in verse three ten, that says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. All of that is going to take place as Jesus sits on his throne to judge this final group of people. So then we move on to verse 12, and that's the judgment of the unbelieving dead. You may recall from Revelation 19, we talked about how the saints, the bride of Christ, were in heaven, and they received white garments from God. Those were the garments of righteousness that they received probably at the judgment seat of Christ, because we had to be judged in heaven, just as these unbelievers are going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10 It reads, we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be recompensed for the deeds that we have done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Now, what that means in the original language is we're going to be judged as to whether the things that we have done give honor and glory to God or whether they're worthless. And then we're going to be recompensed. So we'll receive rewards for the things that we did on this earth that were for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's believers in heaven. And we got that idea and discussed it in Revelation 19. But now it's time for the unbelievers to be judged because they, like everyone else, has to be judged before they are resurrected into their final eternal home. So it reads in verse 12, And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. And books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. 
and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. Now, this is very important because I just quoted 2 Corinthians 5.10, and now we're reading this, and it makes it sound like we are in heaven because of our deeds or we are judged as not being worthy of heaven because of deeds. That's not true. We are judged as to whether we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. The deeds, however, are the things that God uses to either give us rewards in heaven or to take away things in eternal hell. So God uses these deeds. Remember, I read in the previous shows, John 5, 28 to 29, that says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all the tombs will hear his voice, and we'll come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So that there talks about deeds. But good deeds focused on Jesus Christ because he's Lord and Savior, or evil deeds that were focused on ourselves, not on Jesus Christ. So we're judged on deeds. And here it tells us that books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. So what you see when Jesus judges at the great white throne judgment is all these books are open of the deeds that these unbelievers have done. But the one book that's the most important book is called the book of life. And each of the people were judged according to that, as we'll see as we move on. I recall where it talks in scripture about the book of life and not having your name blotted out of the book of life. So what I'm picturing here, you can correct me if I'm going in the wrong direction, but I'm picturing books with people's deeds in them and then the book of life. And if someone's name is not written in the book of life, then they have to be judged on their own deeds. So if you accept Jesus Christ, what he has done is he has taken the penalty for our evil deeds. And so we're in the book of life. But if you've refused that offer and you have not taken advantage of that, then you have to be judged on your deeds. And they're all laid out in the book, and there's no way that you can whitewash them. It's not going to be your own fake news of how you represent yourself, but it's going to be objective truth in those books, and then you will be judged by the deeds because you didn't accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. The Bible is clear when it talks about the book of life, meaning the Lamb's book of life. We read earlier in Revelation 13, 8, All who dwell on the earth will worship him. And this is talking about the Antichrist. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. What that tells us is the book of life is the book of the Lamb. And that is people who have life in the Lamb. So that's known as the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. In Revelation 21, when we get there in verse 27, it says, And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abominations and lying shall ever come into this eternal heaven, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So we have the Lamb's book of life, which is those of us, the moment we believed, our names were written in this Lamb's book of life. But then you have what's called the book of the living. And people get confused with that. Because that's a book which contains the names of those who lived on the earth at the time that these words were written. Now, keep in mind, back then, it was like a census where they kept a list of everybody who's alive. And then once they died, their names were blotted out from the book of the living. Psalm sixty-nine twenty-eight says, May they be blotted out of the book of life, and may they not be recorded with the righteous. So that tells us there is a book of life. And the psalmist is encouraging God to blot them out from the righteous. 
Exodus 32, 32, and 33 with Moses, it says, But now if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out from your book, which you've written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Then the Lord smote the people. So he said, I will blot them out of my book. He killed the people who sinned. They were blotted out of that book of the living. Two different books. The passage here is talking about the book or the Lamb's book of life, the people who have believed in Jesus Christ. So that is the book of life that it's talking about in verse 12. We'll understand that a little bit as we go on. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Now remember, in order to go into eternity, you have to be resurrected. So here what you see is a resurrection. When it says the sea gave up the dead which were in it, well, a lot of people are thrown overboard in the sea, and even though they might be eaten by fish or a shark, their remains are in the sea. And death and Hades give up the dead which were in them. Hades is the place where the souls of the unbelieving dead are right now. So you have the physical death that gives up their people. And then you have the souls of the unbelieving physically dead, which are in Hades. They gave up their dead. And this is where they're being judged is at the great white throne judgment. In other words, verse 13 is saying, this is the resurrection of the unbelievers. So verse 14, and death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the resurrected unbelievers, physical and spiritual aspect of the unbelievers. They're thrown into the lake of fire. That's Gehenna, the eternal hell. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Well, the first death is a physical death. The second death is a spiritual death. Those of us who are believers experience physical death, unless we go through the rapture, but we never experience spiritual death because we live forever with Jesus. They experience physical death by being tormented forever and ever in the lake of fire. And then the key to all of this is verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So even though people were judged on their deeds at this great wide throne judgment, They were relegated to eternal hell because they had not believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the final judgment. This is the final cleansing of all people before eternity starts. All believers in Jesus Christ will go into eternity with God in his eternal heaven. All those who have not believed will go into eternal hell. Gehenna where the fire never ends and the tongue is never quenched, where the worm never dies, away from God for all eternity. There's coming a time when every person's going to be held accountable for his or her decision, whether Jesus Christ is Lord or not. And that decision takes place on this earth. Once we're dead, we can't move from wherever we are. We can't pray ourselves out. We can't pay ourselves out. And nobody else can do it either. Our decisions are made here on earth. Those who surrender to Jesus, he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, and we will enter into his kingdom. Those who haven't surrendered to Jesus, he's going to relegate to eternal hell only because of decisions they made, because he's a righteous God who cannot allow sin to enter his eternal heaven. So the question is, which camp are you going to be in? Are you going to spend eternity with God in heaven? Or are you going to go through the great right 
dethrone judgment and be relegated to hell. That decision that you make right now here on earth is going to determine your eternity. Where will you go when you die? Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.